Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Introducing the greatest animated series you've never seen, Lightning Dogs. These canine commandos are lost on a post-apocalyptic Earth and battling the forces of the evil Glampire. It's a tribute to the cartoons and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, and Nerdy Show is hell-bent on bringing it to life. Blocks sold separately. Join us as we document our quest from the moment lightning struck to every world-building session and beyond and make our crazy dream a reality. Roll with the pack at lightningdogs.com. State of the Empire is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network, geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse, and is brought to you in part by Consequence of Sound, the web's foremost source of music and film news, reviews, and insights. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to State of the Empire, Nerdy Show's Star Wars speculation podcast, where we look for news in Alderaan places. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. Hey, I'm Matt. In this episode, we're going to be talking about, well, predominantly about Star Wars novels, recent novels, as well as comic books, what's been happening in them, which ones you should bother checking out, and then also some Star Wars video games. But, uh, but first, a little bit of new stuff coming out of The Last Jedi. There's a new featurette from, where was it, Matt? ABC, I think? USA Today. USA Today. I knew it was some kind of generic news source where right. bland stuff usually happens. <laughs> How dare you confuse USA Today with the American Broadcasting Company? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, w- w- this this actually wasn't wasn't particularly bland. It was a really nice little behind the scenes featurette about Ryan Johnson's experience as a director for uh, for Episode Eight. And in it, we get a few clips. Of, uh, of some little tidbits about things, just a little bit of, uh, of nuance to glean. For example, we've all seen Finn in disguise uh, as a First Order trooper. Well, now it looks like we may have also seen Rose and DJ in disguise. Blurry in the background, but possibly there. And um, what was it? The possibility that maybe Ray and Poe meet? Yeah, won't that be weird? They actually share some dialogue together for, for the first time. I only watched the video once, and then you brought that up, Matt. Where what's what's the scene like where that happens? What's the context in this video? It looks like they're on the Falcon. They're certainly like in there. You know, the the two actors are definitely like on set together in their clothing. You know, in front of the camera. So I think they're definitely <laughs> shooting scenes together. You know, of course, you know, the, there's the possibility that they're you know off scene from one another. But you know, there there hasn't really been a lot to kind of place characters together for this movie. Like we haven't really even seen like, while we know that Poe and Finn probably start together, we haven't even seen them together in anything. I don't believe so they might get separated pretty quickly. And it's actually nice to see some main characters together. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, 
it would be interesting if they kept up the separation and in the end of episode nine is just like <laughs> you know finn is just like oh oh hey ray i'm so glad to see you and poach is like who the hell is this <laughs> and like they just have to have that awkward moment where he has to introduce them they shake hands and the trilogy that'd be great <laughs> That would be amazing. So we'll link to where you can check that out on this episode's page. Another, another interesting tidbit is that there's a there's a feature that you may have seen in the new Star Wars action figures called Force Link, and it's this gauntlet that you wear. So when you're playing with your action figures, you can just press some buttons and and using um, some RFID chips somewhere, the what whatever figure you're holding will shoot dialogue out or sound effects. It's kind of neat. It doesn't sound much better than the old Comtech uh, microchip action figure stands from Episode One. But the actual deployment of said technology is a lot better. And uh, recently, we got the down low on what DJ says. No reveals whatsoever about the nature of his character, but one <laughs> one really gl- great piece of slang. Uh, Matt, you wanna you wanna debut this for everyone? Oh, for Hut's sake! <laughs> oh, that's that that's a good one. I mean, I I I. Wouldn't be surprised if it's appeared in like a an EU novel or two or maybe a comic, but like it's great that it'll be on film. I hope it's on film anyway. <laughs> Just like let's take this fight to the skies. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well, let's hope. I mean, it's nice to actually get a little a little DJ in there. He's been so like closed up and forgotten about when it comes to marketing this movie. Why yeah. does he hold Hudson such high esteem? <laughs> that's what i want to know what's the context of this like it's not a curse exactly but like this colloquialism yeah. like what does it mean like when it's been like we're like oh son of a hut like you know there like, you go that's the spice you know yeah son, son of a hut would be a good one but but you're right doug what's it for hut's stake like does that mean that he's like worshipful of the dynasty of huts you know the crime family like i mean i wouldn't be like i would you would you say for like Oh, for the Godfather's sake! If you were say in the mafia, like is that I something you'd say? I just know I I would love. It's not going to happen, but I'd love to hear Benicio del Toro say Bantha Pudu on screen. <laughs> <laughs> His delivery's got to be killer. <laughs> anyway, that is that's all the new stuff from um, the Last Jedi. So let's let's get to these these Star Wars ephemera that we've sort of been discarding for the past couple episodes. <laughs> it's just sort of stockpiling all this information. Um, Matt, you've been doing a lot of reading. Yeah, I'm trying to catch up. It's <laughs> like I said, we've I, we've just been uh, you know collecting so much of it that I I found myself you know falling behind. But uh, you know, I've been I've been keeping up. I've been enjoying. Uh, just got through all the Rogue One tie-in stuff, which you know is now, which is it's weird. The movie you know was only out what ten months ago, but like it is strange how it's all just sort of like in the rear view. Like the Rogue over One era with. is over. And, uh, but, you know, I would highly recommend anybody on the fence about learning more about Rogue One. I think a lot of the tie-in stuff was really good. Like, the the young adult novel, Rebel Rising, about Jin's life all the way from her abandonment at the Lamu homestead all the way up to her arrest uh, prior to, to Rogue One, like, is really good and really heartbreaking. Like, she's had a rough life. And I would definitely recommend everyone check that out. Um... And uh, just I'm about halfway through the Inferno Squad book, which you had some reservations about that. You're not a fan of the author. I'm not. This is uh, Christy Golden. And I don't have a good relationship as far as the stuff that she's done in the past Star Wars. I will say this is my favorite novel of hers so far. 
my reservations now don't involve her abilities because actually I think she's she's painted a picture of Inferno Squad that I actually think looks better than the game. The game looks great, but the nature of of an elite squad in a in a Battlefront video game, a campaign, is that it's you know it's an FPS. It's not you know, and and Battlefront's not exactly the most like stealth oriented game. So I imagine it's pretty straightforward as far as action goes. But the bat the Inferno Squad in this book. They're not like a crazy special forces team, at least not in this juncture of their careers. They're they're more espionage and subterfuge, and and they go undercover to like take down the remnants of Saw Gerrera's group, or they'll they they disguise themselves to go to a corrupt Moff's party in order to steal information in order to bribe him. Like it's it's much more like Mission Impossible. Which way are we going to enter this building? You know, what are we going to do? Who's going to be undercover? Like, it's it's a lot. It sounds way more exciting than the video game campaign does, and it's kind of a shame that we won't be getting that in their single player adventures. So, what you're sc- describing is some kind of James Bond Ghost Recon thing, and what we're getting is yes. is well, commandos. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, might get a little bit of it. You can see, you know, Iden, the main character from the campaign, she does some cool things in the in the videos that we've seen with. Uh, uh, the droid, but it's really just, you know, slicing in the terminals and things like that. It's not like highly involved espionage. It's just kind of like, you know, command prompt type things. But um, yeah, the book's been great. The book ties in some loose ends from Clone Wars. I don't want to spoil anything, but any fans of the Clone Wars out there that are considering reading this book, like it ties up like a really big loose end from that show and ties heavily into Rogue One with what happened with Saw Gerrera's group and even features some characters from Saw Gerrera's group from that Rebel Rising book. Like, it just brings the whole saga together nicely. And the strange thing, that I imagine the campaign in the video game is going to do the same thing because it brings us from Endor to the First Order. So, shockingly, this book and this series, Battlefront Two in general, has, like been this like really interesting glue of the entire saga dating from the prequels to the sequels yeah that's wild yeah it's been it's been enjoyable very enjoyable actually and then battlefront 2 has so much of aftermath in it yeah exactly it has supposedly some of the observatories from aftermath and has the sentinel droids from aftermath like it's like it's i will say this might be like the story group's like best most cohesive effort so far it's really changed my mind about some of the things that they're, they've been doing yeah because what you're saying right now this is very different from everything you've been telling us in the past months of you know it's it's expanded universe light nothing really commits and sticks the landing in any kind of big way it's interesting at best but not in any kind of real sense but what you've just said that is a full-blown that's a connected universe right there that's what that sounds like yeah, definitely. Without without the universe feeling too small, like you know, it, it kind of makes sense that like certain characters would be coming across each other rather than simply you know running into somebody in a Jeddah market and you know reciting the same lines from A New Hope. <laughs> you know, it's like it's 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 much smarter and if you're well playing, thought out and yeah, if, and, and they're playing still, the State of the Empire there's, bingo. There's, you can just go yeah. ahead and, and drink right now. I mean, they're still not committing to like huge monumental stories that can change the fabric of the entire galaxy because they, they simply can't with the nature of them still making post Return of the Jedi movies. But I think they're now figuring out the, the best thing they can do is providing those really, really good connective stories that make sense. That's awesome. Still nothing on the Constable Zuvio connections. <laughs> I, I've got something for you. I got something. 
Constable oh, Zuvio, oh, yeah? majorly featured in the first story arc of Star Wars Adventures, the all-ages but canonical IDW comic book. Oh, I actually will be starting that next week. Yep. That's exciting. Yeah, here's, here's a little pro tip. If you still can, buy it in issues, because they're collecting this thing lightning fast. As in, the first two issues came out, forming a cohesive story about Rey and her life and times on Jakku, and then as well as a couple quality backups um, in the forms of some, some Star Wars legends that are dubious as to how canonical they are, but we'll get into that later. The important part is, they've taken those two issues that are one complete story, but the same length as, as only a as like most of a, of a comic book, not a full comic book because there's a backup story, right? They have, mm-hmm. as of last week, repackaged them as a collection. A collection that costs a dollar more than if you bought those issues. Oh, huh. <laughs> so buy it in issues if you can. It'll be cheaper in the long run. Anyway, let's get back to novels. Yeah, I just, a uh, couple of those, I've been catching up with some of the, the junior novels, the Join the Resistance series, which is also growing on me. I... <laughs> You know, they, they might be canon, but I would, I would have to imagine they're, they're dubiously canon because I can't imagine. So the premise for Join the Resistance is a, a very young group of uh, wannabe freedom fighters joins the Resistance. And I got to imagine they're all probably like 12, 13 years old and they get placed in a squadron together and they just get into Goonies like hijinks. As a matter of fact, the authors, Ben Acker and Ben Becker, a very talented writing team in like the like podcast comic book space. Like, they've described it as, as Goonies in space. But it, it, they're so... <laughs> they're enjoy, very enjoyable from, like a, from a junior novel standpoint. But when they get in trouble, it, it drives me nuts that they end up, like... Not too much of a spoiler, because it happens early on, but the power gets cut off on the base, and some people almost crash while trying to land, and Akbar lets them off the hook. <laughs> it's a very strange series. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. <laughs> you're you're cleaning out whatever space latrines they've got, or worse. <laughs> yeah, and also, you know, getting drummed out of the resistance. I, I will, and also, this has been the source of a lot of my confusion about how the first order works out because it's made statements about how the first order used to be part of the republic, and and so now I'm still like, are they coming from the unknown regions? Were they like ever a member state of the the republic? Like, I'm very confused now about the origins of the first order in general i just it's still the information we got from bloodline about how leia just finds out about this essentially secret society of former imperials that is sort of putting together something big and she immediately forms the resistance from that so i don't know where in that six-year period you could come up with the idea that they like used to be part of the republic like unless i'm missing something about how i mean maybe all those i think they call them centrists like it was a political faction within the republic that wanted to be more domineering, maybe they just like defect at some point. I don't know. It, it's not really making much sense, but the books by themselves are fun. You know, they're very like younger age group targeted, but you know, that's not necessarily an issue because so far I would say right now the junior and young adult novels are besting the adult target group as far as uh, quality um, mm. since the, the Disney rearrangement of the expanded universe well on on that line um have you had a chance to check out leia princess of alderaan not yet i will be starting that next week that's uh another book by claudia gray the same author as bloodline and uh 
unlike Bloodline, this one is, is specifically a young author. And it's about Leia's teenage years. On the eve of her 16th birthday, apparently it's going to reveal what Leia's rise to power was like, uh, showing how she first became an agent of the Rebellion. Um, it's also about her friends and her parents, who she's going against in terms of they don't want her to get involved. Um, contrary to the scene in the <laughs> Rogue One comic book adaptation where you see Leia with Bail Organa across from Saw Gerrera with Jin at like some kind of secret planning meeting. <laughs> I know something that a scene that did not appear in the, the Jin rebel rising young novel. Like, yeah. No mention of that sort of meeting. <laughs> uh, interestingly, Claudia Gray says of this, you know, book about Leia's childhood, there's a very strong connection to some things from the last Jedi, which once you see the film will make sense. Um, and maybe what she's talking about is that in this book, you see Bail Organa set up the rebel operation on Crate. There's a comic book coming out that's a one-shot called Storms of Crate, and it comes out December 7th, so shortly after the film. It's about Luke and Leia looking for a new base during the original trilogy. It's by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, um, who did the Join the Resistance book Matt was just talking about. Mm -hmm. And the only description is, uh, Luke and Leia take up arms on the salt-covered world and search for a new rebel base. And I guess I guess they don't find it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> like you know, if there's an operation there already, maybe it's a uh, an operation that's been shelved for some reason. I don't know how. You know how does how does Bail Organa set up something in Leia's childhood, and then Luke and Leia then go to this place, and it's like there's any ambiguity about what's going to happen when they get there. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. I mean, just to very quickly finish up, probably the most important part of joining the resistance is the main protagonist at one point recalls in his childhood the heroes of the resistance that or of the rebellion that he grew up worshiping and mentions the greatest hero of the rebellion admiral akbar which i thought was a great perspective <laughs> that he was the most popular of of the rebellion heroes so i'm like that's like just the best thing that is the best thing <laughs> yeah I, they're like I said from from a from a goonies perspective that they're enjoyable but it's just making the sequel era very confusing still also got through the Thrawn novel, which unfortunately to me was a bit of a disappointment. The more Thrawn as a character is allowed to... Uh, so Heir of the Empire and the Thrawn trilogy, the original one, comes out and, you know, just was fantastic. And, and Timothy Zahn really hit, you know, hit it out of the ballpark with, with that character in particular, but also, you know, the other ones, Mara Jade and Talon Card and Jorah Seaboth and all of them. But obviously Thrawn was the fan favorite. And then, so he does this Hand of Thrawn duology where, you know, that takes place 10 years after that, and it's more the legacy of Thrawn. And all of a sudden, the way people are talking about Thrawn is it's, he's becoming too much of a, of a godlike, perfect character, that he was just like the best villain of all time. That duology was, it was okay, it was interesting. It was, overall, it was certainly passable. And then, as it's continued along over the years, Thrawn just becomes more and more... <laughs> whitewashed or blue washed i don't know how we would go ahead and call it because there's no fooling this guy anymore every single time thrawn comes up against an obstacle he's always it reminds me of sherlock on bbc he's always like annoyingly four steps ahead of the issue like every like faint of a mistake was actually something planned and i figured you would do that so i did this instead and i just i don't know there's there's something and also, that he's not part of the Empire because he believes in the Empire, but because he thinks the Empire is the best preparation for the galaxy for what's the big threat coming soon. You know, it's like, so now we need to, 
which is very, to me very a big contrast to his characterization in Rebels. He looks very much like very imperial in Rebels. Yeah. So I don't know if they intend to change that characterization or not. But that's that's where Thrawn should be. He should be a bad guy. Like that's you know where he belongs. And uh, I will say I do think with the announcement of uh, the sequel coming out in 2018 that they are starting to do think about that connective tissue that uh, the the Battlefront book had because. I guess he's teaming up with Vader, and he actually mentions in the Thrawn book that he had an interaction with Anakin Skywalker during the Clone Wars, and they kind of kept that very mysterious in the Thrawn book. So it'll be interesting to see how he interacts, and he, he's, he's figured out who Vader is in, in, oh, over the course of Oh, dang. Okay. So it'll be very interesting to hear these conversations between Vader and Thrawn. Like this, so while I have my issues with that book... It's totally worth the read if there's a big payoff. And I think uh, also I, there's a, a subplot with Governor Price from Rebels, and it's fantastic. It actually does the best job of establishing why Lothal is as important as it is and why we're so focused on it in Rebels. Like, there's some interesting things going on there. That's great. Speaking of Rebels, obviously, we haven't talked about it since season four started. Um, we did actually do a review of the first episode of season four back what April of this year because we saw it at Star Wars Celebration but um, we'll be spending more time more quality time with Rebels in the weeks ahead there's just so much to talk about and so much of Rebels is currently unfolding yeah it's, I mean this is the final season it's going to be a hell of a season we've got a f- many of the episode titles though not all of them and um, I don't know that any of it's really worth reading into overly because there's just there's just so much that's going to happen that uh, I don't know. We, we really don't have any bearing on uh, Dave. Dave Filoni's been playing this whole thing very close to his chest. Um, and aside aside from the inevitability that Rebels is going to spin directly into whatever the follow up program is that he's working on, I I mean they haven't said that, but I'm telling you here and now that's what's going to happen. Come on, um, come on! <laughs> 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 Great characters, Ezra Bridger. Come on, um, I <laughs> yeah, it's totally going to happen. How could it not? Couple other other, go ahead. I I I just been hearing a lot of from a lot of different places that we will know by the ending of Rebels what it will be, and I don't mean like as far as time. I just mean like the ending of Rebels will somehow indicate, oh, this is where they want to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, how? how, So you've been hearing people outright say that. Then it's not just me talking, predicting things that I'm certain of, but have no bearing on. Yeah, just people that have like some loose connection to the production cool so whether that's people within disney which you know there's some of those and then there's people like specifically like uh have done work with lucasfilm animation with like marketing Mm -hmm. rebels so that'll be exciting to hear sweet coming out on halloween there's a new book called legends of luke skywalker by ken Liu. um it's a collection of rumors about luke basically it's what the galaxy knows or thinks it knows about luke the framing device is there's a bunch of kids on a cargo ship that's traveling to Canto Bight, and uh, it's six stories about this guy who most of them don't even believe is a real person. So, uh, in is fact, that like that Batman animated series episode, basically. <laughs> yeah, but with children instead of criminals. No, 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 not not almost got him. Like the actual Batman animated series episode oh, about the kids yes, talking the one... about the different versions. <laughs> the one with the Dark Knight Returns. It is. It's exactly that. Yes, it's exactly that episode. <laughs> um. 
apparently there's uh, a first person account told secondhand about a mole flea named Lugubrius uh, Mote, who's allegedly on Luke's person at the time of the Jabba confrontation in Jedi. <laughs> Take it okay. for what you will. <laughs> I don't know. Matt, do you know anything about uh, sentient mole fleas in the Star Wars universe? No. No. And, uh, I mean, it, sure. Right, exactly. I mean, it, it, Jabba's Palace, I could see being definitely in, infested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those Grimorians are scratching all kinds of places. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also a Phasma book that's out now by Delilah S. Dawson. Have you heard anything about it, Matt? Uh, I have heard from a few people that if you want to get a jump on figuring out who Benicio del Toro is actually playing in last Jedi to read Phasma. Really? Shit. And that, that is just a lot of conjecture. Every single time something new about DJ comes about, the first thing I hear is, is someone uh, either commenting on a forum or speaking to someone. Uh, They'll go, wow, that makes sense with the character of Cardinal in, in the Phasma novel, who is, Phasma's like chief rival in the First Order. He's a stormtrooper that uh, is in red armor. Um, not like Praetorian Guard armor, but actually just like stormtrooper armor in red. Right. She's fancy. He's fancy. They're both fancy. They're upset about it. Yes. And they, yeah, they are professional rivals. And I don't, I've tried to avoid spoiling myself on how that uh, plays out. But I would imagine with everyone conjecturing about DJ that like, he may end up getting shamed and exiled or something like that from the first order and turns into a slicer. <laughs> yeah. See, see, that's what I understand. I don't know. What's strange to me is, you know, people can tell me, you know, Oh, it makes sense. But like everything I have known about Cardinal, like, I don't know. I don't see that comparison, but I don't know. I guess we'll find out what we do know about Phasma and a sort of spoiler free overview about the sort of thing you can expect in terms of the depth of her character that they get into and her origin story is the book shows how she got off the planet where she was on initially. It cuts between the present and the past and shows her as this fearsome warrior on this brutal world. Um, the first order comes to that planet and sees a great opportunity when they arrive. And this is mirrored somewhat in the Phasma comic book by Kelly Thompson which uh, is four issues, and I've read all of it, and it is great. Um, it's It takes place basically the moment that she's shoved in the garbage chute and turns into this... I mean, this is retcon at its finest, right? This No one... Ha- were they not trying to fix a terrible problem would have written this story, but it's crazy <laughs> that it goes this far. <laughs> so... So let me give you... Let me give you a rundown without, like, you know, revealing so much that you won't want to check it out. She gets shoved in this garbage chute, And she's like, fuck, if they trace this back to me, I'm done. But I'm Phasma. I'm the most ruthless person around, and I am so fucking mad about what just happened. So she frames someone. She like she as soon as she's down in the pits and she gets the first computer she gets to, she she makes it look like someone else in the first order did what she did. Mm. And then she spends the last moments of Starkiller base hunting this guy down, almost like convincing herself outright. This guy is a traitor. I have to get him. So awesome. anyone she talks to is like, I'm going to kill this fucking traitor. He's the one who made us vulnerable. And then like, and gets in a TIE fighter and goes off with this TIE fighter pilot and, and a BB-8 and uh, 
tracks this guy to I guess the first planet he could get to. I forget why they why they went there. And there's no technology on this planet. There's a society of people who descended from people from the stars, but like escaped there. And the world the planets in like this weird. There's like a, an indigenous species that sort of turned against them, and it's Phasma kind of looking at this society and reminiscing about where she came from at the same time as she's manipulating this society to get to the guy she wants to get to because that guy got himself kidnapped by the creatures from that planet uh, indigenously and uh she's it's just this big this big insane vengeance quest that's not even really a vengeance quest it's all her trying to like going to extremes to create a frame so she doesn't lose her honor that's amazing and it, it's i mean it's preposterous but it is good. It was cool. Sounds dishonorable, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's strange because you know I I have on the past I think I, I've been I mean all of us I think were a little bit uh, critical of the story group already having to resort to to retcons for certain things because you know this is sort of the point of keeping everything very like tight and concise was that like they didn't have to run into these issues, but then as you go through and you realize. The Star Wars universe, the old expanded universe, is just the place to go for like retcon artistry, and it just seems right that we're back to that <laughs> because like it always ends up being the most interesting stuff for some reason. Like I, I don't know. I kind of, I'm suddenly okay with it. You know, it creates some very interesting uh, and you know it, it, a lot of avenues for for creativity. Right, because this is a crazy story that no one should have ever had to tell, and not only is it a crazy story of how Phasma escaped Starkiller Base's explosion when she really, really shouldn't have, and the timetable is very tight. The entire first issue is kind of like an as-it-happens um, read this as you're watching the film and you'll see that it plays out extremely quickly and it's a miracle she got off when she did. Um, <laughs> and and then, and then it turns into this like almost not a barbarian comic book, but I mean, like, it's a crazy, terrible planet she's on, and she's got to fight for survival. Now, perhaps the biggest book release is an anthology called From a Certain Point of View, 40 Stories from 40 Years of Star Wars. And Matt, have you have you read the whole thing yet, or are you still working your way through uh, it? I'm about, I'm about halfway. Uh, what's neat is they, they structure all the stories chronologically with the film, so it starts with stories uh, pertaining to, like, the gunner on the the star destroyer that opts not to fire at the escape pods, um, and then like you know progresses like the, you know there'll be a story about a Tuscan Raider or a Jawa involved with you know the uh, you know the R five unit that Owen Lars initially wants to buy, you know just that sort of thing. So I'm I'm about right as we're escaping Moss Eisley. So I just got through like the figure and Dan story. So this is all stuff in the orbit of a New Hope then. Yes, the I didn't entire the that. entire book. Yeah, yep. Um, there's been they've as with any good anthology, they've ranged from like odd stories to to some great ones. But the problem is cramming forty in there. My, my initial thought was that like, oh my gosh, we're going back to like the days of like the tales from Moss Eisley Cantina, tales from the Bounty Hunters, those anthologies, which. I think for a lot of old EU fans are probably some of the your best memories because they really oh, yeah. filled in as much like background as anything else did because we finally got away from you know Luke Leia and Han and like we really got some really weird stories and some good ones and things like that and I think this book suffers from too many of them so all the stories are extremely short um, but 
what has worked has worked really well. There was a Claudia Gray story. God bless her. She's been amazing so far in, in this universe. Um, from uh, Qui-Gon's perspective on uh, sort of what is about to transpire in the galaxy, you know, sort of the, the balance tipping. And it's so good at, once again, retconning <laughs> Qui-Gon's importance to the saga that George Lucas only gave us little teases about that it almost becomes to me required reading for anyone who wants to go through the saga chronologically because it just it i don't i don't want to give anything away to anybody but it's 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 a beautiful meditation on the force and what it means to the galaxy and and how things have changed from the prequel era to the original trilogy era like it's really really great stuff from what i understand it also deals with what a force ghost perceives um, yes. which is fascinating and that, that he is capable of a of I don't know Matt would you say that he's living an existence in his unexistence in a way yeah I, you know it's strange because because it, he's still it sounds like it's still changing for him um like he's becoming like more with the force because at times he's perceiving like the entire galaxy as a whole and and things are are big to him but then he's thinking about how short of a life Obi-Wan has like both remaining and what he's already lived within the grand scheme of things. So he's able to like perceive, you know, the infinitesimally large and then also like the infinitesimally small. It's, it's, it's very good. It's, you know, it doesn't go quite too philosophical, like overtly, but it's definitely, um, I think it's a necessity. Like I thought it was great. How about our old pal Greedo? <laughs> so it turns out seems like Greedo's been cuckolded by Han Solo as if we needed anything more of why Greedo hates Han in, instead of simply that you know he's there to collect credits well as I recall uh, in Tales and, from the Bounty Hunter he was burned about Han stealing a Rancor skin jacket of his when he was a teenager so this sounds uh, much better yeah and, you know he's just upset about his love you know doing this and refers to it as like you know her mistake like basically he burned her but I, I don't know it's there's some weird Greedo psychology going on there. And also, on his way into the cantina, he kicks a Jawa. He just straight up kicks a Jawa <laughs> on the way in. Shit. I mean, yeah, so, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't feel bad for him at all. Like, he... <laughs> I heard Han actually shoots first. Is that correct? Yes. In, in Greedo's story, there's no, no indication that Greedo pulls the trigger. It's just straight up Han killing him. That's so crazy. Like, what does that even mean? Like now, you know? right? <laughs> but yeah, there's there's some funny stories. The the star destroyer gunner, like the reason why he actually didn't fire on the escape pod. Um. Uh, they do another story from the from the perspective of that R five unit. Uh, which if any old EU fans remember, there was a horrible star wars tales comic that probably wasn't supposed to be considered any sorts of canon but the problem is with the old expanded universe there wasn't like labels so if it comes out fans always wanted to somehow squeeze something in i remember the days when they actually tried to squeeze star tours into the like old canon by saying <laughs> that it was like a death star prototype like it's just anything that they could do to like get everything in there but if anyone remembers Skippy the Jedi droid, a, a droid that had force powers and actually like 
sacrificed himself because he he received the force vision that R2 needed to go with Luke. <sighs> that was the old canon. <laughs> so in this one, there is some uh not basically this is this is more direct. R2 pleads with the R5 unit that he needs to go with Luke. And it's actually kind of it's a cute story. I don't want to spoil the way it goes down, but um you know, for some reason, everybody wants to know more about that R5 unit. You know, why it why its motivator was bad. Well, Matt, we all have bad motivators sometimes, and we really, yeah, you know... I, I, there's something to learn from it. I've always wanted to identify more strongly with that R5 unit. <laughs> <laughs> now I can. It's perfect. Yeah. There's a great Tusken Raider story. Learn a little bit more about how custom or Tus- Tusken Raider... Uh, Hierarchy works and oh, uh, is there society. any clue to the um the Tuscan effigy of Darth Vader that they worship in the desert as seen in a random issue of Jason Aaron's Star Wars run? There is mention that everybody <gasps> avoids it like a plague. Oh yeah, my god. They, they, <laughs> basically it's 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 sacred land. You know, it's just meant to be avoided because of the evil spirit that like killed all the men, women, and children. You know, not just the men, but the women and the children too. And uh <laughs> there's a couple uh yeah, there's there's some mention of that. There's also, um, you know, they all they all kind of know Ben as a wizard, and so they try to avoid him. And there's, you know, it isn't so much that they hear the Cryot Dragon sound that scares them away, but it is actually when they're like, "Oh shit, it's Ben," you know, like you got to stay away huh. from that wizard. And of course, some of the Tuscans believe that you know, oh, he's just you know, we could take him. And some are like, you really need to avoid him. You know, it's it's. It's interesting story. It's good. Speaking speaking of Ben, I've heard there's there's some sort of story where Obi Wan is trying to convince Yoda to train Luke, but Yoda actually wants to train Leia instead. Actually, yeah, Yoda's expectation is that Leia is the chosen one. As we know from Rebels, Obi Wan firmly believes that Luke is the chosen one, so they definitely have some disagreement about it. But yeah, Yoda from his meditation on Dagobah, as they communicate across the stars, he he's anticipating training Leia. As a matter of fact. There's some insinuation that sending Leia to go pick up Obi-Wan during Rogue One is actually Beryl Organa sending her to receive Jedi training. Huh. So that's a kind of a very interesting, um, <sighs> Man, you know, what, if it wasn't for her getting captured, if she had managed to pick up Ben, maybe she would have received some training. I, f- I feel like this is an indicator that we are totally going to see Leia do some Force stuff in The Last Jedi. I think so. That's crazy. A couple final notes about uh about this book there's a paul dini as in batman the animated series paul dini story about boba fett have you gotten to that one matt i have not so look forward to that i hear boba's a real asshole good (laughs) wooher doesn't serve droids because his parents were gunned down by battle droids and he doesn't rat out jedi for the same reasons (laughs) which i think is fucking amazing and my favorite thing the number one best thing i've heard about this book B. Arthur's character from the Star Wars Holiday Special is fucking canon. <laughs> Akmena, the night shift bartender at Mos Eisley Cantina, she's in a few of the stories, and she has a wife named Sorshi, which is why I'm activating Willow Watch right now. Willow. Surprise activation. Yep. Matt wasn't ready for this fully armed and operational Willow Watch. It's <laughs> completely out of nowhere. Sorshi, Akmena's wife. You know, 50-50 chance it's some kind of weird slanted Willow reference. 
Yeah, 50-50. It either is or isn't. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Thus ends Willow Watch. <laughs> So that's all the book books before we get to comic books. Well, let's thank you. Thank you for listening to this show. Thank you for supporting the show. And if you're not supporting the show, here's how you can do it. Go to patreon.com slash nerdy show. Through our Patreon, you support this show and all the shows on the Nerdy Show Network. Even a dollar makes a world of difference. And in turn, you get a ton of bonus features, early release episodes, including sometimes State of the Empire episodes, and a slew of other perks, which I will let you discover at each successive tier. But please, if you do enjoy the show, do consider giving a dollar. It strengthens us, it binds us, it penetrates us, and uh, helps us become more one with uh, the force of, of good in the world, which is, which is you giving to us via Patreon. Now, if you cannot give any money, well... There's there's a couple things you can do. One, I'm going to guess you do spend money on Amazon. And if you do, the easiest way to give to State of the Empire is by shopping through our Amazon links at nerdyshow.com slash Amazon. Make, like, hyperlink our link and make that your only link to Amazon. It's that easy. If you buy something super cool and Star Wars related, let us know and we'll talk about it on the show. And the, uh, the other thing, the thing that really truly involves no money is rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It makes a world of difference. It helps people discover the show. And if you want to check out a platform specifically built for podcast discovery, it's not as uh, you know clumsy or, or, or random as, uh, as iTunes. It's, it's actually built for podcast discovery. It's, it's elegant. It's the, the weapon of a warrior. And uh, if you rate and review us there, we will read your, uh, your reviews. Well, on either platform for that matter. But on Podchaser, you can actually rate and review specific episodes. So if you think, oh, shit, this episode is all this book talk, that is my jam. Give that a rating and uh, let us let us know that that is your jam. And uh, I should also point out on the Amazon tip, anything that we're talking about here, we will link to on this episode's page. Just follow the links. Those Amazon links from our page will turn into links where what you buy gives back to us. So if you're thinking, that sounds awesome, I want to read that, great. Head to nerdyshow.com slash Star Wars, find this episode's page, however you do it. Follow the link on our description on iTunes or SoundCloud. And then... Buy the stuff through our links. We'll have it all listed there. So, comic-y books. There's a Forces of Destiny comic coming out. We've, we've actually had some new recent uh, Forces of Destiny in- installments. That's the very short animated shorts about female characters in the Star Wars universe that uh, debut on YouTube. There was recently a half-hour special on um, the Disney Channel, which was... Uh, well, the, the skits were good, um, but they had just god awful segues with Maz Kanata. It was wretched. Like the writing was terrible. Um but we got a cool story about Sabine and Ketsu from Rebels. I think it's the actual first use of the Rebel insignia featuring Rebels characters ever. A really fun thing called the Starfighter stunt with Ahsoka and Padme and a laughably bad uh Harrison old Harrison Ford impression in <laughs> <laughs> in Tracker Trouble. It was awful. God, it was so bad was so so bad um but it's a little a little encounter that happens between jakku and maz's castle in uh the force awakens but man they need to they need to get somebody different to do that it, it was real bad anyway so there's there's a comic book coming out there's a force there's a force of destiny comic book we don't have much in the way of details on it um but it's going to feature leia ray padme ahsoka hera rose and page and rose and page i think is the um the real thing to uh to gravitate towards it's a five-week event um 
the now I mentioned the backup stories in Star Wars Adventures. That's that those are interesting. They're called Tales from Wild Space, and they star uh, a young character called Emil Graf, who's the grandson of Milo Graf, who is the character from the Wild Space Young Adult novels. I didn't know that. That is very interesting. So this is this is taking place tandem to the, I guess the events of the new trilogy. And he's hanging out with two droids. They're floating through space. And every time he and his droids hit a little bit of trouble, he'll tell them a crazy story that uh, his relatives told him, which will involve some kind of figures from the Star Wars universe. Um, and they've been they've been a lot of fun. They're not necessarily canon, but they're like stories of things that probably were canon. Huh, that's interesting. I wonder, I didn't think the Wild Space books had been meeting with much uh, notoriety or success to, to continue with that family. But... Um, because they're UK releases like a year before the American releases, and I just like never see them in stores. I never see them mentioned. Like, just thought they're kind of like a forgotten thing. But that's cool that they're continuing on. With it's that. weird, and these these backups are written by the author of those books. Oh, well, that's cool. So inexplicably, he's written a new character in the timeline of the characters that he's writing about more popularly. I guess I'd, it's weird. It's a weird thing, but it's good. It's I mean the Star Wars Adventures. Um, the collection might be a dollar overpriced, but they're fun reads. And if you have kids and you want them to read Star Wars stories, why the hell not? Right. And you get Constable Zuvio. I mean, really, <laughs> like, the, and the, it is great Zuvio. It is fantastic Zuvio. He's he's got the same curmudgeonly spirit that he had in the um, the short story that came out before Force Awakens. Excellent. So he's he's still he's Matt. He's still everything we ever dreamed he was. You know. I, I'm I'm telling you, it's gonna be like you know whatever that they announced the journey to episode nine, like series, you know the the label. There's gonna be a book just called Zuvio, and the front of the book it's just gonna be like half Luke's face, half Zuvio. We're gonna get the connection right uh-huh. there. Find out. <laughs> oh oh god! Find out what he really means to the saga. Man, that would be amazing! Amazing! Can't wait. Um. So there's a Last Jedi uh, tie-in for DJ. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It comes out in January, and it's a 32-page special. And uh, it's by it's by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, the guys who are doing um, the Storms of Crate one-shot as well, with uh, art from uh, Kev Walker, who did Dr. Afra, And it's basically, the pitch is, a day in the life of, of DJ just before his appearance in the film. I th- personally think that should come out before the movie, but I that's just me. What do I know? That actually, to me, seems like the strongest indication that he's going to be, like, somehow connective tissue that's, like, really of significance. Because not only does it come out after the movie, but it comes out significantly after the movie. Like, let everyone see the movie first, and then we'll, you know, like, talk more about his background. Right. I mean, they have a couple things coming out the day of. They have a couple things coming out, uh, you know, I, I want to say Storms of Crate. What did you say? It was like December 27th or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's that's near release. But this is like late January. So they're definitely giving some time for like his identity to marinate. Yeah. An interesting move. We had a big shakeup in comic books that we haven't had a chance to talk about on the show yet. Jason Aaron, much to our surprise, left Star Wars. He's been writing it since the beginning. And uh, it, it kind of suddenly, in a lot of ways, um, he, the thing he ended on was a bunch of short stories, each issue focusing on different characters. He said in an interview that uh, he had plans that went through issue 50, but um, just needed a little bit more space in the schedule. The lead up to the new film seemed like a good time for him to jump off, so he did. And some of the final single issue stories were actually could have been entire story arcs, but he enjoyed condensing them. And I think they're actually, some of them are very strong for how quickly they play out including an all R2 issue about him single-handedly rescuing 3PO um, from a very, very dangerous situation, so dangerous the Rebel Alliance won't sanction it. And in it, you get excerpts from sort of an astromech manual that, along with other context clues, suggest that the reason that R2 is R2 is because he has been modded and tweaked so much from what an actual astromech is capable of, an actual or an R2 unit for that matter, that... um, he's not the same droid. He's not the droid that's being described in this manual. He's physically incapable of being that droid. And uh, he's something else entirely. There's also, um, the final issue might be one of his, his best pieces. And it's, it's a little moment of Scar Squadron, his elite stormtrooper group. Just some good stuff in there. Jason Aaron created a lot of, a lot of very interesting material that exists in the space of the original trilogy that, that makes it more, a more exciting place. Like, for example, the the hut with that's, that's kind of buff and has a collection of Jedi artifacts whose name escapes me right now. Gracchus, that's his name, um, and and Scar Squadron. Um, he uh, he said that uh, I always came in kind of shooting for the moon, and I was always happy with the stuff we were able to to get to do. It took me a, a while to figure out how to put Yoda in there. Um, in fact, he said that one of his early ideas for getting Yoda in there was a group of stormtroopers crash land on Dagobah, and it turns into Predator with Yoda as the Predator. It ended up turning into the Vader Down storyline. Hmm. I, I wonder how much, like, what the plans were for this ongoing and why it felt so, in the end, 
I don't know if neutered is the right word. It's like they had a plan to do something really big with this, you know, the sort of Luke learning how to become a Jedi without actually having a master, sort of like the the self-taught scheme, Mm -hmm. it seemed. And then that fell by the wayside very quickly because it tied so heavily into the Luke that we're sort of like chasing after in The Force Awakens that I thought this was going to be kind of a good like frame story. But then it just, I don't know. I wonder if plans changed or they just wanted to sort of tease that. And then it, it ended up kind of feeling like the old, the old Marvel ongoing from the eighties. Like it was just kind of weird stories at times. I mean, some of them were very weird. The, the Yoda, Yoda's secret war force war, whatever it was called. Like it's just, it is a good story, but it's extremely peculiar. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it did a lot of things that I liked, and I, I wish, you know, maybe in the end we'll hear something from, from Jason Aaron about, you know, what what the process was or what happened there or if anything bad did happen or if it was just, you know, that was the, the extent of what he wanted to do. But it's hard to I imagine. I've got to imagine there were. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, so I've, I've got to imagine there was a big plan. Yeah, well, it's it's hard it's hard to think that these stories they they did feel like they were getting yanked around a lot. I can't imagine that he wasn't maybe under a high degree of scrutiny. Um, yeah, I mean, playing playing in the original trilogy era is is no joke, and it looks all good on paper until you start doing it, and then all of a sudden people get nervous. Yep. But uh, taking over for him is Kieran Gillen, who did uh, the original Darth Vader run and Doctor Afra. That's coming soon, and uh, it's going to be quite the thing. The first story is called Ashes of Jeddah. So you, you thought the Rogue One tie-ins were ceasing, but no, we've got Sagarera and Rebels and this comic book, Matt. Maybe, maybe it'll keep yeah. on coming. Yeah, I might have spoken too soon. Maybe it's not that much in the rear view. That, I like this, like that, that, that's a good thing, I think. It's going to be weird to see Dr. Aphra without Gillen, I would assume. Uh, no, I think he's doing both. Like... Oh, is that well? No, actually, no. Sorry, I've just looked it up here. We have starting with issue fourteen, Simon Spurrier. Oh shit! Well, Simon Spurrier, I didn't know this. Simon Spurrier is great. Like he's, I, I love so many things that he's done. Um, a really obscure at this point series called Gutsville about a bunch of uh, Protestants living in a, in a whale's belly. Um, the current comic book from Image, Angelic, about a bunch of uh, genetically engineered animals after the fall of mankind. He's awesome. So. That sounds fantastic. It is weird that Afro would be written by anybody else because she seems like she's so Gillian's baby. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I believe I, I believe like he uh, has a story uh, in the certain POV book about Afro. Oh wow, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. They're mixing. It's all mixing together. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I can't believe I missed that. But that's that's very cool and an awesome replacement. So no complaints here. Um, but I, I guess that makes sense. Taking, taking over for Star Wars is a big deal. And, uh, uh, there's a Mace Windu comic. It's by, uh, Matt Owens and it's fine. It's, there's some, I don't think the Disney story group knows what to do with the prequel era. <laughs> I, and you know, I don't, and I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily their fault. I think what happened is back in the day, they had a much clearer idea of what was going to happen 
with uh, Attack of the Clones, Return, Revenge of the Sith, because there wasn't the, the, the you know, the, they were coming up on the end of Star Wars as they knew it. You know, it wasn't going to continue on. So I think Dark Horse got to play around a lot with what they could do. And they could be darker because the movies were getting darker in theme. And then the Clone Wars cartoon built off that and then contradicted it in different places and different things like that. But the Dark Horse series and the, and the Del Rey novels that were coming out at the time were really the driving force for that era. There wasn't the cartoon to compete with. And now I think it's there's nothing to build up to or off of. And I don't think they know because of how much like now Ahsoka and that story sort of dominates that era, what else they can do. This is just a, a random story about um, Mace Windu going to a remote planet and bashing up some separatists and there's some battle droid humor and it's fine. It's just, it's fine. But yeah. is it essential so far? Not even remotely. However, Souls Vader, Charles Souls' brand new ongoing Vader comic. Oh my God, that's essential. Everyone needs to read this book. It's crazy. Um, mm. So this is the book that we've talked about in the past famously opens with the moment of Vader's Frankenstein creation at the end of Revenge of the Sith and makes a point of trying to redeem that moment and explain, you know, what what Anakin's next thought was. Retcon artistry. It is retcon artistry at its finest. Um, and it's so much it's so much more palatable when, um, you know, when you don't have to hear... <laughs> <laughs> his his baleful cry um yeah but uh it it is amazing essentially the the emperor says all right so hey buddy uh my my old buddy old pal you're a sith now so we got oh man we've got such work to do i got some homework assignments for you and uh here's what's going down man i need you to kill off some straggler jedis and when you do that you got to take a lightsaber and then homeboy you're gonna bleed that sucker. You're gonna. We, we, we want you to make an evil lightsaber, bro. Come on. Um, so first of all, the battle with Vader. Vader takes down this Jedi that was in. Um, he was kind of like a self-imposed exile thing. So he's been off the grid for a long time. He doesn't even really know what happened. He knew that he felt Order sixty six happen, um, and uh, he's he's ready. Uh, he's ready for a fight. He doesn't know what the fuck Vader is, but he is. It's a cool. Samurai battle basically is what is what that whole issue is, and Vader gets fucked to shreds because he has no idea how to use his robot body. He's like, he's all he's all thumbs, and so he's all torn apart. Okay, so when he's torn apart, there's a droid that he bashed up, and then he uses his force powers to like kind of cobble together his robot body because he's such a clever engineer, so that he can like patch himself up, and he's this horrible Darth Vader robot mess clawing his way up killing this jedi wow it's good stuff and let me tell you when he bleeds that saber palpatine's like all right so hey you know where you got your ass beat i want you to go there because it's full of your hatred and it's also like a hot spot for like sith feels so you want to get those deep sith feels bro go to mustafar bleed your saber and folks i can't tell you what happens there but i want to tell you because it's crazy wow Saber bleeding makes me nervous. <laughs> saber bleeding makes me sick. <laughs> As it there should. It's a very uh it's a very unkind uh thing. It's a very bad thing. And as I understand when it was created, you know, not it's not so very long ago, it was a very dumbly written thing. But let me tell you, it is not dumbly written. 
in this book. It is actually awesome in like as far as if shit you want to see your tragic bad guy go through. Great. Super. Well, then, I, yeah, I mean, I'm always willing to, you know, I definitely want to like check it out. I just I think right now my problem like my my bleeding problem is a little different than Doug's. I think Doug has issues with it just as a plot device. My thing like, is, is it's just kind of scattered. I can't tell what they're trying to do with how it ties into Last Jedi. Like, I don't know if it's going to appear at all. It may not. But there's contrasting ideas of the Force being like something that's very bipolar. Like, you got light and dark. And then you have like all these things about balance. So, you know, we have trailers that are giving me the idea that like the Jedi have to come to an end. You have Kylo and Rey reaching out to each other. You have Lor Santeca in in uh in the Poe Dameron comic talking about Sith and Jedi made things like I don't know what that device was in the most recent Poe Dameron you might have some clue cap but I don't know what it is Matt you actually know as much as I do yeah it's just an artifact right now but then you have like the Sith and Jedi holocron coming together in Rebels like there's all these concepts of like there being some sort of like balance that I don't know if they're trying to like bring the prequels together with like that you know the the theory of of a chosen one to bring balance to the force and maybe luke's going to do that by getting ray and kylo to team up or some ridiculous thing like that um but then you introduce crystal bleeding and that to me is so like only two ends on a spectrum (laughs) you know that is like i'm a bad guy so my saber knows and it becomes bad you know it it doesn't seem like something that can meet in the middle right you know and, and and what's the tipping point? Does it like if you if you ha- like I brought this up before? If you're a Jedi with a boule saber and you start to go bad, does it turn purple and then transition into red, or just one day does it snap and well oh, we're red now? And granted, this is like nitpicking the details, but as if the lightsabers weren't like already too magic to begin with, like as if the lightsabers weren't already complicated and and made no sense to begin with. Now they have personalities like i, I don't it just boggles me <laughs> they're, they're harry potter wands that they're gonna st- sell at Star oh, Wars dude land. i was just gonna say they're turning them into these harry potter wands where it's like oh you gotta find the crystal that's right for you it's like, oh give me a break <laughs> they're gonna have it's, a show cool. why did we talk about that when we we're talking about star wars land they're totally gonna have a show just like Ollivanders. well you can already build your own <laughs> lightsaber in like the toy shop or whatever yeah you yeah but in, in downtown disney but, and but we're totally gonna get the david tennant droid from Clone Wars to like, you know, I need a volunteer right. and then, you know, whatever. And they're going to call out. I don't know. But it's to answer somewhat answer your question, Doug, about what happens to a lightsaber. Um, it's not someone going bad and then becoming good. It, but Ahsoka takes red crystals from Inquisitors that she's defeated and like unbleeds them and they turn white. That's how she has her white sabers and rebels. Oh God, I, I can't stand it. <laughs> Uh, I know. I'm like know. the the fucking colors. It's 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 a machete. It's a sword. It's a tool. It's not magic things yeah. that only magic people use. Han Solo used a lightsaber for crying out loud. Anyone can use a lightsaber. It's just considered outdated. Hold up, dog. Han Solo used a lightsaber. Anyone can grab a lightsaber that's already fully functional. But the aspects of the the crystals building a lightsaber that is a mystical practice used by space wizards they've always been space wizards it's only mystical because no one fucking does it anymore because once you invented a blaster people stopped stabbing each other i don't like the idea that 
in the distant past when like blasters were not a thing yet like let's just say pre-firearms quote-unquote in the star wars universe that hand-to-hand weapons weren't plasma or laser based for non-jedi i understand the idea of making a sword mystical but i still think that other people that use swords within the star wars galaxy can still have like the technology versions of them you know whether those are laser whips or laser spears God, laser, bow and laser arrows. whips laser all this stuff like the it's just good this is the one thing i'll always side with george on <laughs> because if you were to ask george george what's the meaning of the crystal turning red i don't know because he's a bad guy it doesn't matter it's just a color like it just he would never say oh well it's about the inner struggle with the but, but doug hold on Sith fighting the Jedi. i don't see how what we're saying here is any different though it is red because he's a bad guy that, that's all there is to it and the the act of creating um a red saber is is filling it with the malice of being you know uh sith and and how is that the the fact that they've defined the process for how that's done basically a magical ritual for how it's done any different from simply seeing uh you know all of a sudden a sith shows up with a red saber well how how the where where'd the red saber come from well it's it's a crystal that i mean there's got to be a reason that only bad guys have these these things it's because their alignment causes that i mean that's that's all that's all they're saying that's really all it is just to wrap it, I guess, because I could go on for forever if you couldn't tell. But like, <laughs> even if the the Sith choosing a red crystal, even if crystal bleeding wasn't a thing, right? It did always bother me looking at like the trailer for uh, you know Star Wars: The Old Republic online, like the Sith thing crash lands and it opens up, and yeah, it looks pretty badass when like all these red sabers ignite and it's just a bunch of red sabers fighting a bunch of other multicolored sabers. But even then, it did kind of bug me. I'm like, why do they all have red? Like, why don't like isn't there one Sith who's just, isn't there just one bad guy who's like, you know what? Fuck tradition. I'm just going to have a white saber because no one else has that. And I want to be cool. Like I, I didn't, it never really made that much sense, but you could always argue, well, it's tradition. It's a Sith tradition. The Sith are really big on tradition. Therefore, if you're going to go bad, this is your color because the Jedi don't like it. Just fuck them. Right. It's like no Jedi likes this. So we're, we're, we're picking it up. But as soon as you tie it into like something that's beyond your control, where it's like, I'm a bad person, therefore the tool in my position is red. And then I'll just bring it up, like, what about the Death Star? Death Star's made of kyber crystals. That thing kills planets. Those crystals ain't sad enough yet? <laughs> I don't have the same, like, malice <laughs> that Doug has, but I definitely agree with you completely. I wouldn't call it malice, I call it umbrage. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I, I just... I don't know, especially because the Jedi's crystals themselves are blue or green or sometimes purple. You know, there's no... It's the lack of consistency. There's just... Yeah. It, they just It's a rule that was thrown in because they thought it sounded cool. It sounded mystical, like a Harry Potter wand, when there's no actual thought put into it because it makes no sense. There's no consistency throughout any of these stories. And that's fine, but I say to you, read this Darth Vader comic, and I think you'll you'll see oh i'm sure i'll enjoy it it's just i just don't think the plot the plot wouldn't be any worse off if he just had to pick a red crystal versus having to bleed it well i also don't like an entire galaxy filled with like millions of aliens and millions of of like aesthetic ideas that like red represents evil like you're right i don't think like a bunch of sith warriors including like some alien ones would necessarily all agree that like you know red is is i don't know it's that's like kate fisto had them bug eyes did he see colors the same way yoda did does yoda see colors the same way that luke does like it does 
I just there's there's what about the fucking the the that species who are blind they're born without any eyes but they make really great Jedi once again from like the old Republic Online do they accidentally ever pick the wrong crystal that oh this belonged to a Sith I don't know it's actually red you know like <laughs> and they just put it in their lightsaber you can sense I don't know. that come on but uh, I mean really if if you if this Vader story came along and the concept of bleeding crystal in name had not been made and you saw that Vader had to you know, uh, pervert the crystal of a Jedi as part of a Sith ritual. That sounds pretty grim and awful. That seems like that's right, like aligned with the kind of awful creature that one is asked to be when you give yourself into this uh, evil religion, essentially. Um, so I don't, aside from the fact that it's a goofy name with that was apparently poorly handled when it debuted, I don't really know that it's actually uh, bad or off-brand to the actual Star Wars experience when it's done well. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd be curious to check it out. I, ha, Cap, how does it work in relation, like, thematically with the previous Vader ongoing? Like, does it make a good, like, prequel? Like, do you feel like they, they're going to end up kind of fitting together, like, showing a Vader, like, progression? I guess they could, but it wouldn't I really, guess. it would really, really, really matter. Because what you're seeing here is you're seeing Vader um, figuring himself out and... I know that doesn't sound good necessarily, but I assure you it is actually quite good um, because it, it's it's actually heartbreaking, which is something you don't ever get from the films. Um, right. And in the original Vader ongoing, the, the Kieran Gillen one, he's already, you know, well-known, Vader the elite dude. And in this, no one knows who he is. They're like, what the fuck is this thing you're dragging around, Emperor? Oh, yeah. By the way, um, he also, <laughs> after bleeding his saber, here's another cool thing that happens. Uh, he meets the Grand Inquisitor from Star Wars Rebels, and then Vader trains the Inquisitors. That's great. You know, um, I'll extend an olive branch. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I I, I'll, I'll offer up a headcanon explanation, which so far I, there's no way to debunk it, I guess. But it, I, I, let's just say, unless something already said otherwise, that uh, the red saber is just a traditional Sith thing like you can still be evil but not sith and not have a red saber you know like it's 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 still a matter of choice like you have to decide okay i'm going to crack this crystal and i'm going and in doing so it will just turn red based on the properties of whatever it is so it's not so much i'm a bad person you hand me a lightsaber it turns red as much as oh as part of the tradition with the jedi it's about building a lightsaber here for sith it'd be like oh i'm gonna kill a jedi take that jedi's crystal whatever color it used to be and through sheer force of will force it to be red and then i'm going to use it that suddenly sounds way cooler <laughs> as opposed to being the mood ring D doug that's exactly what i'm saying that is exactly what so happens. it's all by choice and it's not a matter of just like the crystal like it's not like whatever i'm yeah oh I'll, no i'll take your word for it and i'm just gonna read it you, anyway. you have to you have to uh, like basically psychically uh abuse and warp this thing this is not like this is this is sheer force of will this is an act of hatred Oh, I hate you, Crystal. I hate you so much. Turn red, as a, as a, as opposed to so strong in the force, you are cracking a diamond with your brain. Is more interesting to me. But whether it's actual, it you're hurting its feelings, and it has a life oh. inside it somehow. No. Versus no, 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 just, no, 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 no. You know, <laughs> nothing like that. Nothing like that at all. <laughs> this is metal. It's super metal. Everything that Vader does in this issue is is horrible and metal. So links to where you can buy it on this episode's page. <laughs> Well, I'm going to borrow it next time I come over. <laughs> yes, please do. Uh, now, before we before we close out, there's no there's no blast doors this episode. There's nothing to spoil. 
Um, we're going to talk about uh, what we know in terms of Battlefront 2 and the huge, huge and tragic news coming out of Visceral Studios. So Battlefront 2 comes out November 17th. Obviously, um, we've talked about it a little bit already on this episode. There's not much more to say aside from that it still looks gorgeous. The single-player campaign looks like a lot of fun. Um, we have... There's some, there's some loot, box con- loot box controversy. There There is some loot box controversy. I, I, yeah. I, I turn a blind eye to that because I'm not going to be playing this game for the multiplayer at all. Right. Um, but let's, yeah, let's, let's go into that briefly. Yeah, I just... You know, it... it there's there's two types of real yeah just very quickly two types of loot box issues that i actually pay attention to because it's very easy for me at least as a i don't know a what i believe to be a mature person to look at like a loot box <laughs> possibility of like cosmetic things and then just say like you know what i don't need to spend extra you know like i have that self-control i know people who don't but and I definitely think it is a form of gambling, and they're t- preying on people's addictive personalities to, you know, sort of squeeze a whole bunch of money out of them. But then there's another type, which is gameplay affecting loot boxes, in which you are bothering the people who don't spend money on these things because it's it's affecting their ability to compete. And from all indications, it seems that these are the type of loot boxes that are available in Battlefront. Like, the loot boxes grant you you know your additional upgrades and abilities so if somebody's spending a ton of money on on loot boxes they're going to be getting more things that can be used to essentially like dominate in in multiplayer and it's just it's not going to be fun that's That's not a balanced game that's something i don't ever want to play yeah and uh unfortunately that just seems to be the way it is you know and um there's nothing we can really do about it except not spend money on loot boxes. But here's the thing. People are going to. You know, you can't tell someone to do or not do what they want. And, um, yeah, it's unfortunate. Well, I think there's there's one path, and that is to emphasize the gambling angle and make a scandal out of it. Because Disney doesn't want to be associated with that kind of practice. So if they see that, you know, the company they've entrusted Star Wars to, EA, is um, preying off of uh, people's, like, addictive tendencies, uh, especially if it involves children... And uh, and that becomes uh, something that public outcry can surround. Well, that is a great platform for making a positive change. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, Cap. And and I had just read something recently that somebody yeah, has said that they've they've seen users spend over twelve thousand dollars on Mass Effect multiplayer cards. You know, it's, that's it's, fucked. Yeah, it's it's really not okay. And um, unfortunately, these types of games will sell very well, and so they think it will be okay. But you're right. It, it it needs to be an instrument for for significant social change when it comes to like electronic merchandise, digital merchandise, because it's not. You know, they keep likening it to the idea of like a pack of trading cards. You know, like Pokemon cards, anything you want, baseball cards, whatever. That's just luck of the draw, and you know, you could stop whenever. But when it affects other people's enjoyment of it, it's not the same. Yeah, because if it's if it's Magic the Gathering, you're buying a pack of cards, you don't know what's in there, but ultimately you're building a deck for strategy and the random chance of finding cards with certain amounts of like that have been produced. Right. It's all uh, there's you know it's a bit of a, a scam in that sense, but it's also you know tactics because you know that the you you are a wizard <laughs> arranging a multiversal army of creatures, and some of those creatures are more rare than others, and and it, it's all a weird structured chess thing, you know. Th- yep. This is not that. 
at all. This is like, do you want an advantage in this game where everyone should have the where the only thing should be skill? Skill should be the only thing that separates everyone in, in terms of the the arena that they're in. But no, right? You can you can throw down five hundred dollars and you can be the absolute ruler of this game. And, and the weird thing, like your level, your char- your character's class levels are dependent upon how many of the cards that you have per class. So you could sit there and play as an officer class the entire game and all your, like, you know, just game after game after game. But if you're just continually getting heavy class cards, your class level for heavy is the one that goes up. So it's, you could literally just go in and just spend a ton on cards and then show up as like, you know, a level 20 player, but you really don't have any skill because you haven't, you've, it's just based on the fact that you bought cards and they happen to be of that class. I mean that sounds fucked. And if I spend if I spend any money in this game, it will be purely for the single player campaign. And fortunately, that's trackable. They'll see that there's something that's being used and a portion of it is not being used. So I I don't know. I mean on the one hand, I don't even like the idea of giving EA money. I avoid it whenever possible. But I do like Star Wars. Um what we're going to be linking to on this episode's page in terms of Battlefront is a great behind the scenes trailer, a single player scene. 10 minutes of single player footage and a, a play a trailer for the single player campaign and it's all i mean this seems like an exciting story for bridging the original trilogy and the new trilogy and that's why i'm interested in it um yep. and then there's a great part where um verso the character from single player says someone once told me that rebellions are built on hate <laughs> and i'm just like <laughs> ha ha <laughs> Um, there's some, I'm, I'm telling you, man, this, this series, like the battle, like very suddenly battlefront became like a great connective element to everything. It's, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's a shame that there's like a very scandalous multiplayer game attached to this really quality single player game. And it's also a shame that, um, the way that game companies are behaving, uh, which we'll see as we talk about Visceral's Star Wars game, the game that was going to be the spiritual successor to Star Wars 1313, the game that was helmed by Amy Hennig from uh, Uncharted fame, the game which is now, um, well, not canceled, but uh, Visceral Studios, with a long-storied history of quality game making, including the Dead Space series, was closed by EA, and this game was kicked over to one of their other studios, EA Vancouver. Um, EA had a statement they said the games we want to play and spend time with the experiences we have uh, in those games and the way we play all those things are continually changing we are always focused on creating experiences that our players want to play and today that means making a significant change with one of our upcoming titles and specifically this is going to be a story based linear adventure game like Uncharted um, but because they were tracking fundamental shifts in the marketplace, it has become clear that to deliver an experience that players will want to come back to and enjoy for a long time to come, we needed to pivot. AKA keep spending money beyond the purchase. Yes. The initial purchase. Yes. We needed to pivot the design. So there's something that I, I, a phrase that I was unfamiliar with because I'm not, I'm not really like in the game journalism circuit, so to speak. And also, as as my uh, workload has increased in other facets, I have played less and less video games, no matter my love for them. Um, but there's a, a term called games as service. Um, 
and that that is a subject of much controversy right now and something that all the big studios are shifting towards because that's the model of this industry like you know we've seen hollywood destroy itself in terms of making the easy money and we're seeing the video game industry do that at a much faster pace in terms of the quality of material you know like everything's a triple a game is a summer blockbuster and summer blockbusters typically are not films of any real substance so all the big games will, that are getting money spent on them that look gorgeous are going to be games not of real substance Just in terms of storytelling and probably in terms of gameplay um like i'm not up on gaming journalism either but uh, isn't the single-player linear narrative of the Uncharted series still doing gangbusters? As far as I know, yes. But EA doesn't really care about that because EA is like money god of video games. They want it cheap, they want it fast, and they want it now. And not, and not just cheap, fast, and now, but but they want a ridiculous amount of money. Like yes. this is, I mean... I could go on about this about many industries, but like it's never okay just to turn a profit anymore. They want to turn the biggest profit. A fortune. <laughs> you know, because Uncharted, yeah, Uncharted's making money. And there's a bunch of other single-player narrative games that have been a success that haven't been like, that I'm sure have made money but not have been runaway successes. Like, you know, a single-player game I enjoyed recently, Until Dawn. Like, you know, it wasn't a huge game, but from what I heard, they made money on it. And it's not something that I'm going to keep coming back to, but for some reason, EA's games now, like, they can't just come out and disappear. They need to make just Scrooge McDuck piles of money. <laughs> yeah. Continuously. So games as service basically means it's not a standalone experience. It's something that's constantly expanded in a way that ensures it keeps making money so they can continue to, like... Uh, they can release the game before it's finished and hope they patch it fast enough. They can uh, sell you expansions ahead of time. They can sell you all kinds of like dumb cosmetic experiences. They, it's what they call a broader experience, but really it ultimately ends up being a watered-down experience in terms of, well, the whole purpose of video games, which is, I mean, okay, there's two purposes to video games. Let's just lump it into two big arbitrary titles. There's 100% um, entertainment, basically the virtual version of competitive sports. And then there's the thing that made gaming what it is today, the thing that captured everybody, and that is having a narrative that you, the individual, can be a part of and interact with. The thing that makes this medium so special is that it's more than you just imagining a story as you're reading it or as you're watching it, uh, like, you know, feeling any kind of, like, visceral, visceral tension. Uh, it is actually, uh, you know, you are putting... You're putting your hand into another world. Something you would like most experience with, say, a horror game. Even that's maybe the most the most chilling version of that. But even if you're just doing an adventure story, even if you're just doing um, Knights of the Old Republic, you're investing yourself in that story and what happens. And uh, that that time is gone because that does not necessarily make heaps of cash. It's a shame because I mean, my guess is the pivot here for the visceral game is that. They see an opportunity to, instead of starting from the ground up, to pivot from that single-player experience, which may still exist in some form when the game comes out, but to a battle royale, I believe is what they're referring to the genre now, that player-unknown battlegrounds-type game, what, but with Star what Wars. What is that, like Destiny? I want to say it's, it's more very large uh, multiplayer battles. That can't, um, that can't possibly be what they're doing, really? Would they, for this title, with what they have so far? I mean, from what I've been reading, a lot of the like uh, 
leading game developers have been looking towards that model because it's been such a huge success, um, kind of a runaway success. And it's cheap and, and user-generated content, you know? it's Right. So that seems to be a big conjecture that, you know, it's something that they can continually, you know, cosmetic release, you know, DLC and all kinds of, like, additions that can be continually purchased and thus be profitable. And it would just depend on if they could convert the assets that they have for that game to that. Now, I mean, a Destiny-type clone, you know, that could be a possibility too. But um, I've actually read Destiny as one of the criticisms of, uh, like, um, that there's not enough opportunity for... um, what is it? Activision, I believe, is the Bun- developer for Destiny. Bungie. Well, it's Bungie. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who owns Bungie now. But you know, basically, there's not enough opportunities to continue making money on that, despite the fact that like there's not, you know, that that there is a grind to the game and things like that. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it could be some sort of Destiny clone that where there's much more opportunities to be purchasing things. Yeah, the one the most telling thing we've got is from EA's press release that says, um, "We'll be leaning into the capabilities of our Frostbite engine and reimagining central elements of the game to give players a Star Wars adventure of greater depth and breadth to explore." Which says to me, you know, essentially, for the first time ever, an open world, and uh, I, I greater depth to explore, like weapons packs. Costumes packs, hat packs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't, I don't know. And uh, we also won't really know for a long time because um, this game has been bumped from a 2019 release to TBD, and that's a long way off. <laughs> I would be very curious to see what has if something similar is currently going on with the respawn star Wars game as well, which one was that going to be? That's just the, the sort of unknown third confirmed star Wars game is that, uh, yeah. Respawn was, was working on it. Um, Disney's got to be upset about this, right? I mean, I, right. Yeah. And I, I, I wish I could read the contract terms of this. Cause I mean that that Fran, that IP got handed over in a licensing agreement in what 2014 and we're now sitting at late 2017 waiting on for the, for the second Star Wars game to come out. And now the third and fourth, like definitely the third, possibly the fourth have been are being repivoted. We will probably get Battlefront 3 before we ever see a different game. They've done some mobile stuff, but I'm not even like that's a whole nother problem industry. Well, sure, that's and also just, Disney uh, had their right to make Star Wars games taken away from them by EA throwing a fit because Disney still retained rights to do certain kinds of games. It's it's just ridiculous. I mean, what a shame that this... You know, Disney's always made mistakes with their... Like, somehow, like, it's the only industry that they can't seem to become the kings of. You know, the only time they got it right was when they were doing it themselves. Yeah, the, and uh, and that's and, but what's weird is they they let it slip away. They were doing it right, but they were never the kings of of the video game industry. And it's strange because they know how to handle 
movies. They know how to handle TV. They're even very good at radio. Like, you know, there's a whole bunch of different things that they're good at, but they've never been good at like taking control of the video game industry and licensing it out so quickly without thinking about it just to EA was probably just the worst idea they could yeah, possibly have. The heard. hungriest I mean, monster. I, and it's such a disservice. I, I would think that any Star Wars fan over the age of, you know, 25 knows for certainty that one of the significant players of keeping the Star Wars saga as like fresh and alive and as interesting as it ever was when the movies were coming out was their video games. I mean, some classic single player sagas that some people hold in a higher regard than the movie. I mean, you talk to a huge Knights of the Republic fan and that to them is Star Wars. And what a shame that like almost like three years after this license was given to EA that we're only getting two games and only one of them has a single player element and the other two are very controversial for being disappointing the fans. <laughs> yeah, it is a shame. It is a damn shame. It's, but I mean we've we've lamented the death of of LucasArts like quite often on this show, but the fact that they did so many like game industry defining titles that have become yep. legendary um, yes, they were not that company when Disney acquired Lucasfilm. They weren't. But nah. had they been folded in with what there was of Disney Interactive, they easily could have been if they wanted to invest the time into cornering that market and building something because what we, what made LucasArts successful was that it had the innovation of Lucasfilm. And with things like ILMX Lab, they um I mean they they had they had a real chance to do something big there. And and they never, ever forgot the focus of storytelling and its importance. And, you know, much like a Pixar, you know, as far as the way they treat storytelling as, a, as one of the key elements of what they were doing, you know, just because they're making, you know, animated films, they're making, you know, quote unquote, children's films, they never forgot storytelling. And that's what the, the LucasArts games were doing. I still, still, I would say one out of every three times someone wants to refer to Lucasfilm will say Lucas Arts and not even notice. <laughs> They're so synonymous with each other and what a shame that it was just left to die like that. It didn't deserve that. No. No, it didn't. Um but I did just mention ILM X Lab, which is really I mean it was ILM's project, but it was tethered in many ways to the development that was happening. It was the the last gasp of of the innovation coming out of, of LucasArts. And I'm happy to say that that is being put to the test in full effect by something new that's coming out. Um, it is a experience. It's called Star Wars Secrets of the Empire, and it's a partnership between Lucasfilm and the VR startup company The Void to create an immersive VR experience at Disney Springs and Downtown Disney. And this is coming out the same weekend as the film in um, here in Orlando, and then unfortunately in the West Coast, it's not happening until January. But basically, what this is is it's not. This is not a normal VR experience. This is not even an HTC Vive walk around in a in a field VR experience where you've got the two lighthouses giving you an arena to walk around in. This is a self-contained VR system on a backpack that puts you fully in a world and has you walk into a space that is actually designed in the... Sh I mean, it's basically... It's not augmented reality, but reality... The reality you're walking around into is mapped one-to-one -one in the virtual space. So if you walk up against a wall, you will slam into a real wall. There is a wall there. 
if you touch buttons on a keypad, you're touching buttons. You're really you're really there. And in this case, you're a group of uh, rebels infiltrating an installation on Mustafar disguised as stormtroopers. And when you look at your own arms, you will see the arms of a stormtrooper, and they will be mapped just as they are. You can catch something in this virtual space if someone throws something at you. Um, and that's that's the catching thing. That's nothing new. You can do that with HTC Vive, but not while wandering around in a in a 3D experience that you are untethered in. So uh, this there's a trailer out. It looks amazing. They did something similar for Ghostbusters at uh, Madame Tussauds in New York, which um, I guess is still operational. And in fact, when they described this, they said it's not just sight and sound, but touch, smell, and motion. And the smell was what got me. So we're gonna maybe be smelling Mustafar? I, I hope so. Yeah, right. Brimstone. <laughs> <laughs> but um, suffice it to say, those of us who are based out of Orlando, oh, we got our tickets already, and this sucker's already very fucking sold out. So we'll be reporting... Ugh. I'm sorry, Matt. I wish you I were know, here. I know. I, 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 I sat on it not knowing what my plans were and also waiting on a friend to, to jo- decide if he wanted to join me, but of course we dillied. And now we're we won't be dallying. <laughs> so we'll be reporting to you about that as soon as possible. That'll be probably right after our review of the Last Jedi. That's the kind of timetable we're looking at for this. There's plenty more to say about Star Wars theme parks, but we'll say that in the next installation of State of the Empire. That's all the time we got tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, if you like this show, please rate and review us on iTunes or Podchaser. And don't be bashful. Give us a dollar a month on patreon.com slash nerdy show. It'll make a world of difference. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 